Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast, where we explore how to center our lives and our leadership in the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ. In the midst of the disruptive cultural shockwaves of the 21st century. Join us as we learn to take the love of God seriously as the force that holds all of us and everything together. Hey everybody, welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Is it, always, your, uh, I'm, I'm, is it just me? Uh, it's just me here. Yeah, it's just you. I mean, there will be, you know how podcasts work. There will be listeners listening to this recording. So that, that's mainly who I was welcoming. Okay. But then I was, I was, I almost, I caught myself because I was almost going to say it was nice to see you. Hmm. And while it is nice to see you, Matt, we can Thank look you. at each other through Thank the you. computer screen here. Um, we're not really seeing our listeners. And I was reminded of a, another podcast I used to listen to that, that was the host. The host said every single time, uh, it's nice to see you. And I always thought, like she just said it without any sort of knowledge that she's not looking at anybody. Right. And I thought that's an interesting little, it's sort of just this phrase that just means like, it's an, high, it's a, it's a nicety. You know? It's an oddity of the English language. I mean, we, yeah, you know. Yeah. It's nice to see you. It's like, well, yeah. It but anyway, I'm, you, I am glad if you are listening to this, uh, I'm glad that you're doing so. Maybe that's a more accurate way of mm-hmm. saying it. Yeah. 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 No Christy today, Matt. Yeah. Well, she's busy. She's getting her doctorate. She's got children. Right. I think Paul's out going of the on. country. Yeah. 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 She's got a she's got a real job. Um, so. She does have a real job. <laughs> but anyway, no Christy today. And I was just we did this interview today that we're gonna we're gonna talk with Jeff Crosby about his book um, Language of the Soul, and we mm-hmm. did that without Christy as well. And um, things aren't things just aren't the same without Christy. No. Yeah. We were, yeah. She we were brings in a about, different hue. Yeah, different energy. And we were thinking about maybe, you know, recording a little reflection after the interview. And we're like, you know what? I don't think we need to do it. And Matt, you said all the jokes that I have, I want to do with Christy here. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I I definitely want her here for these jokes. Yeah. She makes jokes more fun. (laughs) Anyway. Um, 
But yeah, we've got um, a couple things coming up maybe uh, to, to let the people know about, Matt. Okay. Well, the yeah. first is that Ben Strunke has uh, started a Substack. Oh, yeah. I've heard of that guy. I've heard of Substack. Maybe for, for what's, what is a Substack if our listeners maybe aren't familiar? Yeah, it is a new sandwich at Subway, and it involves two sandwiches. Yeah, instead of long ways, they go up. They just stack it up. You have to unhinge really your jaw hard to, bite. Yeah. to eat it. Um, a Substack is essentially uh, a blog. Um, it's a blog where uh, the various writers all convene on one website, and they share their writings, musings, and you can sign up to receive the newsletter. You can mm-hmm. sign up for free, uh, and then there's ways to support uh, the author, if you so choose, either monthly oh. or yearly. Sometimes supporters get little uh, bonus little perks. Cookies. Yeah. Cookies, so, yep. I did anyway. say, if anybody signs up as a founding member of my Substack, I will send you a um, signed copy of our book. So, Did you say a that? A small thank you. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's uh, that they're, they're bringing their support in a major way. So, Okay, well, anyway. I, I will, I need to share something, Ben. I don't think I've signed up for your Substack yet. <laughs> I've been but, waiting. I've been but waiting. But in my in my defense, uh-huh. uh, in my defense, wait. Here I am now. I'm founding member. Uh, will you send me one? <laughs> well, if you pay the if you pay the founding member <laughs> uh, partnership fee. So uh, no. anyway. yeah. Well, all all I'll say is um, that Substack is. I've had a Substack for a bit. It's been really really good, mm-hmm. um, helpful. Yeah. And f- listener, if you think Ben is a sweet talker. He's even a better writer. <laughs> uh, well, thank you, Matt. I do appreciate that. I um, um, I was looking. I have been looking for ways to be more. I've, I've had a sense that I'm. I want to write more consistently, mm-hmm. um, and I just never like it. Doesn't come up in my everyday work except for writing. You know, necessary like writing the Friday emails that go out um, to our email list um, is like that's the only thing on my calendar where people are expecting me <laughs> to write something. And so I found that's actually a powerful motivator for me is just if I make a promise, yeah. hey, I'm going to write something once or twice a week. Uh, if I make that promise um, and sort of put it out there in the world and then get a bunch of people subscribed, yeah. uh, suddenly it's a real powerful motivator to me to say, well, I've got a, I got these people and so I better write. So, All right. Well, so anyway, sign up. Go to, go to bensternke.substack.com, sign up, hold this man accountable. <laughs> Please. Yeah. Yes. Anyway, <laughs> Matt and Matt, uh, Matt's Substack is matttebby.substack.com. Yeah. So we thought this would be a, a great way for us to both get some writing out into the world. Yep. Um, your we'll your Substack links. is called Anti-Fragile Faith, and you got yeah. a little blog post uh, talking about why anti-fragile faith is yeah. compelling for you. Yeah. 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 I, I won't get it. I won't get super into it, but it's a concept I've been fascinated with for a while. I don't know if it has legs. I have no idea, but I can always change the name of it uh, if it doesn't have legs. That's the nice yeah. thing. You, yeah. you you have the domain name as your of uh, your name rather yeah. than anti fragile faith. That's right. so and that's that's smart, Ben. Yeah. Yeah. Give options. I got it's it, that's part of uh, being anti fragile is making sure you have options. Anyway, speaking of options, uh, we are also hosting a retreat. Yeah, that's one of the options you have for how to spend your Labor Day weekend. You want to say more about it? Yeah, sure. It is a retreat we're doing here in Indianapolis at a lovely urban retreat center called Fall Creek Abbey, which is yep. um, uh, run by uh, dear friends of ours. By the way, can I just interrupt? Uh, yeah. I just did. Uh, so Jeff, after we got done recording 
our interview yeah. that you're going to hear, he's That's actually true. stayed at Fall Creek Abbey and knows the proprietors. Yeah. He says they're good friends. So that it's yep. fun, fun connections all around. Um, it, it's a lovely place, but we've thought we've, we've got a space and time there, August 31st through September 2nd, which mm-hmm. is a Thursday through Saturday of Labor Day weekend, um, to basically uh, run a retreat. And um, so I said, Matt, what should we run a retreat about? Let's see if anybody wants to sign up for a retreat. And uh, you just said, well, um, just popped into your head. And so we thought, hey, the first thing that pops into Matt's head is usually a good... <laughs> just kidding. It's usually not, but this was a great 26% of the time, it's rated R. <laughs> right, yeah. And is not for public consumption. Right, right. But this one, we thought, you know what? That'll, that'll probably be a great retreat. And we just thought, like, what, let's, just, let's just convene conversations around, you know, pandemic, like all the political, cultural upheaval, like it's affected... Um, Christians and Christian leaders really, really profoundly. And let's just ask two questions. What do you need to grieve and lament that you have not done, that you have not had space and time for? And what do you need to celebrate that you haven't had space and time for? And so those two questions are going to kind of occupy the the bulk of our conversation. It's going to be yep. a lot of time for reflection and sharing with one another. It'll be an intimate retreat. Um, I think there's going to be like, we're going to put all our phones in a, in a, in a box and not look at them while we talk with each other. Um, I'm going to make some meals. I'm going to home uh, do some home cooking, yeah. Yeah. and uh, there's a fire pit there. And it'll be it'll it'll just be a few hours together, um, a few days together, uh, to be able to process some of that stuff and share with one another, grieve together, lament together, celebrate together. Um, I'm looking forward to it. We've got five people signed up so far. We've got room for twelve. So um, check it out. Get in. Uh, we'll put a link in the show notes, but. You can also just go to a bright sadness. That's what we're calling the retreat. Mm-hmm. A bright sadness dot dot com. Yep. Yeah. Excited right. about it. Well, we're talking to Jeff Crosby today mm-hmm. uh, about about longings and desires, which uh, we'll obviously touch on yeah. in this retreat. Mm-hmm. Um, he's written a book that um, is called The Language of the Soul, and it's about internal and external desires that we have and how to. Uh, befriend them, how to acquaint ourselves, become acquainted with our longings. And, uh, you know, this is part of a larger project that we are interested in, in reclaiming the arena of desire as vital and crucial for spiritual formation. Yes. Yep. Yeah, I'm uh, glad to see that more and more people are writing about it um, from the various angles uh, that they've got. It's part of a, this idea that we need to tend to and pay attention to our desires and our longings is part of a, it's part of our training and then part of a um, book proposal that we're putting together to, um, to try to write, to try yep. to write about uh, from our perspective as well. So anyway, it's a great interview. Jeff's uh, really, I'm, I found um, myself moved actually several times as he was talking um, about um, just a new way to relate to our desires. So yes. hopeful that listener, you'll enjoy this interview as much as We did. Yep. Let's get into it. All right. Listen up. Jeff Crosby joins us on the show today. He's an organizational leader in the world of words, ideas, and book publishing. He's currently president and CEO of a trade association of publishers, and he served in various executive roles, including 
as vice president at Ingram Book Company and at InterVarsity Press. He combines a background in journalism, leadership studies, and business with a love of language and insight from several fields in exploring faith and spirituality in light of applied practice. He and his wife of more than 40 years, Cindy, have two grown children and six grandchildren and live in the Chicago, Illinois suburbs. Jeff, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's so good to be with you both. It's good to meet you. Um, you are, uh, you've been in the world of book publishing for many years. Uh, and this is, is this your first book? Yeah, I edited and compiled a, a collection called Days of Grace Through the Year, but it's the first book like this, yeah, where it's mm. all my own words. Yeah, the book, of course, uh, listener, we're talking about is The Language of the Soul Meeting God in the Longings of Our Hearts. And it struck me, uh, Jeff, this is something Ben and I are keenly interested in, but it, it struck me that the, the book is essentially about desire or longing. Um, you use the Portuguese word, I might mispronounce this, saudade? Is that how yeah. you say it? Yeah, that's how I say it. Okay. Well, <laughs> if the two of us non-Portuguese speakers think it's right, then it's got to yeah. be right. And uh, my Brazilian friend, Joaquin, also pronounces it that way, okay. so we'll go with it. That's <laughs> definitely some better cred ground. than we have. <laughs> um, but uh, this, this Portuguese word, saudade, you, you use to describe this longing or this desire that the book is about. Uh, maybe say a word about why 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 go the Saudaji wrote. What does that word bring into uh, our imaginations or awareness that maybe just the word longing doesn't? Yeah. Well, the word came to me through jazz music. I, I mm-hmm. though I've worked in the world of books all of my adult life. It will be forty years in September now. Um, Though I work in the world of books, uh, the music is the language of my soul, I, I say in the book. And so this word, saudade, it kept popping up when I would listen to jazz and bossa nova and samba and fado music, you know, coming out of Brazil, and out of Portugal. I would see uh, records by Stan Getz or Jao Garbelto or Yvonne Lenz and others. And th- this word was often on those records. And I was just... Mm. I'm a curious person. When I see a word, I don't know what it means, whether it's a theological word or a historical word, uh, a city in a country. I, I, I just kind of stop in my tracks. I want to know what does it mean? And um, so this, is, this dates back, you know, 30, 35 years I've, I've been seeing it. Um, took a little while uh, to research and begin to think about it. Uh, and process what saudade meant. And it's, it's called an untranslatable emotion. There's no direct English um, uh, equivalent, but most people who have wrestled with it uh, do liken it to longing. And so I used it as the kind of framework of the book and the entry point uh, because I, I just was captivated by the word and captivated mm-hmm. by uh, how deeply Portuguese... Uh, speaking people. Uh, they, uh, they talk about how they, they live with saudades every day, or they speak about saudades every day. And so uh, coming out of conversations with Joaquin Fragoso, the gentleman who I mentioned in the introduction, uh, who is from Brazil, uh, we began to uh, talk about it together, and, and the book emerged out of that. So mm. I think sometimes words that... Uh, are fresh like that, give us a, a, a unique window to grapple with something. Uh, so more than desire, more than longing. 
for me, it became Saudade, and, and I began to probe that. Mm. What, uh, Jeffrey, you mentioned the conversations uh, with your friend that kind of emerged. Um, what, maybe just illuminate that for us. How, how did you become interested? I mean, it's, it's obviously more than just an academic curiosity about a word, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, like, explain it um, a little bit more to us, and what about those conversations made you want to write about this? Well, I, I had begun to write even before I, I tapped into Joaquin, who worked with me at University Press, and okay. uh, he still works there. And we, we were just together a few days ago talking about the book at, in front of uh, the company there, actually. Mm. Um, I, I did not grow up in the church like I think both of you did from reading your book. Um, yeah. I came to faith as a, as a young adult, and... Um, mm. And the tradition into which I came, I think, uh, desire was not necessarily a good thing. We didn't have James K.A. Smith yet, uh, you know, helping us with desiring the kingdom or you yes. are what you love uh, yes. and things like that. Or even Jen Pollock Michelle, who's a dear friend and her book, Teach Us to Want. We didn't, hmm. we didn't have treatments of desire like we do now. Yeah. And I think I sort of uh, veered to the side of the spectrum and not the licensedness, you know, that anything goes, but the other end of the spectrum of, uh, you know, denial, um, not, not actually even acknowledging the longing that you have, um, you know, because that might lead one to selfishness or Mm -hmm. narcissism or uh, untoward things. So, I don't know that the churches I was a part of necessarily uh, explicitly taught that, but it's something that uh, I wanted to be good. I wanted to be acceptable. I wanted to be um, right. Uh, I wanted to be the shell answer man and have uh, answers (laughs) to questions that nobody was even asking me. But I do think that I I had a very unsettled relationship to desire and um, so when I saw this word, uh, saudade, when I began to read about it more in, unfortunately, early on academic uh, kinds of works, um, uh, it, gave me, it gave me some language um, for, uh, for what I was wrestling with and, and uh, made me begin to ponder, well, is desire necessarily a bad thing? How, right. What is healthy ambition? Um, Mm. What is healthy desire? And uh, so uh, some of the conversations with Joaquin have, uh, have been around that. And uh, he likens the, the two people walking along the Emmaus Road that they, they felt saudade, he said. Um, oh, yeah. And that kind of, that, you know, that opened things up for me. And, mm. um, you know, the, the Western, the way that I often read scripture even, um, probably um, probably developed through, you know, kind of a mono lens. And so hearing mm-hmm. that from his perspective, that yeah. they felt saudade for Jesus. And uh, yeah. so lots of good conversations that's over great. the years with him. Yeah. And that's that phrase, we're not our hearts burning within us. Is that, is yeah. that what you're referring yeah. to? Yeah. yeah. Okay. That's really yeah. fascinating. <laughs> and now a word from a sponsor. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, 
You can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, let's get back into our conversation. Uh, we could talk about language forever, and one of the things that Ben and I have been interested in for a long time is how language shapes perception. And sometimes language even gives us access to things that without words for, we can't name. Um, I've told the story before, but I remember the first time a therapist told me I was an anxious person. Um, it, it wasn't that I was just oblivious to my anxiety. It was that I couldn't name what I was experiencing as anxiety. Um, but then naming it gave me access to things that I didn't have access to prior to that. I think your book does a good job of doing this with desire, and you structure it in three arenas or domains, the internal, the external, and then the eternal. Um, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to name some of the internal, um, internal desires, and then I want to ask you a question about them. You cover um, home, the desire for home, the desire for an undivided life, for freedom from fear and anxiety, forgiveness, spiritual transformation, and peace. Um, I wonder uh, how you see these desires inside of us, how they interact or intersect with our culture, the world, you know, living in a late modern Western society. Are these archetypal desires? You think that being created in the image of God, we just have these and they show up in different ways? Or do you think there's something particular about our 21st century Western culture that, uh, that shapes and forms these desires to be more prominent? It's a great question, Matt. I, my instinct is that it's actually both, um, that I believe we're hardwired with, um, with these longings or these desires. Um, I'm, I'm not proposing that the 10 that I address in the book are necessarily, um, universal, though I, my instinct is some of them are, um, you know, the desire for friendship, the desire for forgiveness, uh, the desire for home. Um, so I, I do think that they probably are typal, but I think that uh, particularly if we look at uh, the chapter on freedom from fear and anxiety, they probably are, um, there's some unique uh, dimensions to our society and our time. Uh, I was writing that chapter in the midst of the early days of the pandemic and, mm. you know, leading a company that uh, had at that you know point we had 93 employees, I believe. And, you know, and books came to a screeching halt all of a sudden, you know, yeah. when we were all sent, um, you know, to shelter in place, as we called it then. And, um, so I was writing uh, that opening story. I was reflecting back on. Uh, my own experience of a panic attack and, and ultimately, as you said, Matt, having to name that. I didn't know what that was at the time. I had no language for it. It took years, actually, for me to be able to name what it was. And it, it took the help of, uh, of a professional. 
Um, but uh, was writing the chapter in the midst of such an anxious time. And uh, certainly the literature that I'm reading right now about what our children are carrying with them, um, and not only our children, but we ourselves, I think there's something um, unique about the time we're living. And similarly with friendship or community, which are... uh, uh, are I believe they're in the next section that you've not asked me about, but I think that those ex- external longings are, are, so, are also, there are unique things going on in our, um, in our world at this time that probably deepen the desire for that, for connectivity that is genuine, yeah. uh, for connectivity <laughs> that is, um, is serving a common good. Um, yeah. So... I suspect they're both. Uh, I don't know that yeah. with certainty. Well, I wonder if you could share a bit about the, the external, the, you know, that you mentioned the second part of your book, um, community, friendship, and meaningful work are the longing, the external longings that you name there. Um, and I wonder if you could just share a little bit about the last one, uh, meaningful work. Um, what, because uh, I think this, we have a lot of conversations with people about this nowadays. Um, and I wonder what your um, in, in your opinion, what makes work meaningful? And then what are, what are some of the complications that you see that people face when looking for that, looking for work that's meaningful? Yeah, if I can answer, uh, go with the second part of your question, Ben, first, sure. because I think uh, the complications are, are part of uh, why people struggle with this, this so much. I think there's a unhealthy uh, dualism of what constitutes work that can be meaningful. Um, you know, the, the story I, I tell uh, in that section is about being at a camp with my daughter, a father-daughter camp in Northern California with, uh, with other dads in this bunkhouse. And every night we, we would gather together and uh, talk to each other. And almost all of them were uh, for all outward appearances, imminently successful. They were doctors and airline pilots and and uh, dentists and attorneys, and, and yet all of them lamented the way that they spent their days. Mm. And I think that it was uh, kind of the unhealthy view of what constituted uh, meaningful work, what constituted Christian work, you know, the old adage of full-time Christian work that we would often hear um, in the church. And so I love what what Ben Patterson talks about in his book, The Grand Essentials. Uh, And he's really quoting the old Scottish cleric Thomas Chalmers, um, that the grand essentials of happiness are are something to do, something to love, and and something to to hope for. Mm -hmm. And um, so I think work that uh, we can see as uh, being for the common good, work that, that we can, um, out of our worship, be tutored into how to do that work in such a way that it is honoring uh, mm-hmm. to God, avoiding or eschewing the, you know, the dichotomies of what constitutes uh, you know, Christian and, and secular work, yeah. I think can be very, very helpful. I have been I realize in an unusual position that since uh, graduating from uh, the undergraduate university I attended in Indiana, uh, the work that I have done, I I have never not seen it as meaningful. I've had three jobs, uh, three different places, and it's just never been a question Mm -hmm. for me. Um, 
but that is not the case for yeah. a lot of folks. And uh, so I'm trying through this chapter to um, to sort of re reframe what constitutes uh, meaningful work, mm. and you know the 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 work might not be what you're paid for. Um, you know, it it may yeah. be something that you do. Um, uh, avocationally, um, it, that actually brings that great meaning. So we all have to pay our bills. I certainly do. I assume you two gentlemen do. Um, but meaningful work may come apart from yeah. that which we're paid for. Yeah, um, as well. Yeah, the <clears throat> the um, separating out. It's been really helpful for me. I can't remember where I first heard this, but separating out my vocation from my job from my, not that, the, not that they have to be different, but that they just don't necessarily all have to be the same. My right. vocation, the work that I do that's meaningful in the world doesn't need to be the same thing as my job, which is what pays me money so I can pay my bills, which doesn't even have to be the same thing as my career, which is like a trajectory of, you know, skills that I, that I learn and grow into. Um, I, think that's, yeah. I think that's helpful. Um, I, I also wonder, here's one of the other things that comes up sometimes when I talk with, especially young people, who are looking for meaningful work and finding it difficult um, to find something out there that doesn't just make them feel like a cog yeah. in the capitalist machine, <laughs> um, is oftentimes the accusation is leveled against those people that they're being selfish. Or, right, it's like you're, you're selfish to want meaningful work. Just accept your fate. We've all got to pay our bills. Just take a job, you know, and stop, stop being so selfish and wanting meaningful work. Well, I mean, what would you what would you say to that? If maybe some of our listeners have heard that, or they're miserable in their jobs and they're tempted to believe that um, it's yeah. not right for them to want that, I I would certainly, as it sounds like you do, Ben, disagree with uh, <laughs> with that perspective. What, did I give um, it away? Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I I think um, I I would encourage that young person to try to discern. Um, what God has wired them to do, um, which may or may not be what they're paid for, and um, and and to lean into that, you know, to use to use time. We all we all have time. We can we can uh, yeah. organize the the work life that we're paid to do, and I think we have more freedom probably today uh, because of remote work and things like that than we've ever had before. So. Have the job, do it to the best of your ability, um, and then, but discern what God has wired you to do, and and really seek that out, even if you're not paid for it. Yeah, um, and pursue people who will walk with you in that. Um, pursue people who will will help you both identify it, and then, uh, you know, network, find, uh, help you find ways to, uh, to to journey into that work. And then um, uh, I loved what Ben told me and Ben Patterson in a recent conversation. Also, as you're doing all of that, find people that you can laugh with um, as you're, as you're sorting out, um, you know, what, how you're to spend your days. I think it was Annie Dillard, wasn't it? Who said, you know, how we, how we spend our days is how we spend our lives. And so, yes, do the work, but also find that, the, the meaningful uh, contributions to the world uh, where, where your desire meets the world's needs and lean into that even if you're not paid for it. So I, d I don't think it's a selfish 
endeavor um, hmm. at all. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think that then that observation or that that anecdote kind of is a window into a larger issue we have, I think, with our desires. Um, you know, I notice that sometimes, for instance, the internal desire to be free from fear and anxiety, mm-hmm. um, you know, after the therapist named it, I was like, oh, yeah, it's all over the place, right? Um, but I'm kind of, I'm, I have this weird relationship with fear and anxiety where I either am 100% chasing it around, following it, trusting it, being fearful and anxious, or I'm trying to avoid and stay away as far away as I can from it right? I'm trying to numb or deny or distract or avoid those feelings. Um, what's, the, what's the process for somebody like me who uh, has a dysfunctional relationship with my desires? <laughs> um, how do I begin to change that? Or, or, or maybe cast vision a bit for what your book is calling us to, to relate rightly to our desire. Yeah. I think the... Um, path that I've taken, uh, Matt, in, in all 10 of these is um, as, I, as I name them, as I'm in touch with them, the, the longings, the desires, um, to invite through a very, inten- a very intentional sort of method of, of prayer, um, of journaling, um, meditation, invite God's uh, presence and voice mm-hmm. in the midst of each of those 10. And, and others that aren't named in the book. Um, so so uh, spiritual practices that, uh, that, e- that emerge out of, uh, out of the naming. So for me, with the freedom for f- from fear and anxiety, it became a, a daily examine. It also became reading, reading the Psalms uh, uh, daily. I mean, through both just through the text itself and then through... Um, people who expound on them, like Dane Ortland or uh, Ryan Smith and others, who have who have assembled uh, collections of psalms as prayers. Mm. So um, taking the time, making the space um, to practice disciplines that are tied fairly directly to uh, to the longing that that I'm naming in in, in that moment, and that's what I mean when I. I say, you know, to befriend the longing. Yeah. Um, it's not just, it's not to wallow in it, but it's to to invite God's uh, presence and care in the midst of of the longing that I'm naming. And, yeah. and I, I would say none of the 10 more profoundly than um, the case of, of fear and anxiety. Yeah. We'll be right back. The Gravity Podcast is sponsored by the Gravity Formation Course, our 12-month cohort-based training in practical spiritual formation, where you'll learn how to notice how God is already at work in your life so you can participate more fully in the life that God shares with us. It is a discipleship process that goes beyond just gaining more knowledge and trying out some new practices. In the Gravity Formation Course, we go below the surface of our lives so that we can notice and name our deepest desires in God's presence and to discern how God is at work in those desires to lead us toward holistic flourishing, more transformation, more life, more joy, more love. We've trained hundreds of people from all over the world in this formation framework, and it's helped many people to have a sense of God at work in their lives and learn to be more at home in God's love. If you'd like to learn more, go to gravitycommons.com slash formation. 
Let's get back to the show. It's such a contrast, I think, to the way that a lot of us were taught to treat our own desires, right? Like we, we were taught, like you, you were mentioned, I resonated with what you said earlier, Jeff, about, uh, you know, I grew up in a tradition that was, or, you know, at least I absorbed, the message I absorbed and picked up was that I was taught to be suspicious of my desires and to treat them harshly. Um, and, and that was, that was going to be the pathway to holiness and righteousness for me was to, was to, you know, we, uh, we apply Bible verses to it, right? I beat yeah. my body into submission and I, and I think we, um, it's just the contrast that you've named there is, is beautiful and so helpful and so healing for us to know that, um, these desires at the bottom of everything that we desire, even if it seems bad or selfish, like there's some goodness that we're desiring and something that we're wired up for that God has given to us and that God will meet us gently in those desires. Um, even if they aren't fulfilled um, and if they aren't, um, you know, I think some, one of the reasons we stay away from our desires is that we are afraid they're not going to be fulfilled. And so we don't want to feel disappointed, but just knowing that God uh, will be with us to care for us and to affirm like you desire a good thing, mm-hmm. you know, when you desire these things. And so I, I think it's really yeah. helpful, which I think, you know, leads us into the final section of your book. Um, speaking of unfulfilled <laughs> yeah. desire, right? It's about these eternal longings. Um, and I wonder if you could just say a bit about that. How does, how does our desire for eternal eternity intrude or into our lives or show up in our everyday life? What, what do you mean when you talk about eternal longings? Yeah. And this is one I should say that uh, as I worked with my Portuguese-speaking friends in Brazil, uh, I shared the, the uh, manuscript as it was in development with, with several. And, um, and they said, you know, all, all, the first nine longings you're naming, yes, we would think of those as saudade. In the case of heaven, we wouldn't think of it that way. Because it's it's not something we've ever we've ever experienced. We've not tasted it. So, I I make clear that um, that heaven is kind of distinct among these ten. Um, but I I believe that heaven is our heart's true home. And the way that the way the book assembled in my mind and in my heart was beginning with home and ending with heaven. For that reason. Hmm. That they, they were like bookends of this experience, which has been a 15-year journey of writing this. Um, so heaven is our, uh, our heart's true home. That's not unique to me, I believe. I first encountered it through Richard Foster. But um, I'm 62 years old. I, you know, as I have aged, as my parents and my wife's parents have aged, I think that ideas about heaven do intrude. Um, we, we come in contact with our limitations we, that we never knew before. Um, I've lost my father uh, recently, and um, so either through death or through illness uh, of our parents, um, of, of a child, of a good friend, I think that's one of the ways um, that it intrudes. And another for me, particularly over the past seven, eight years, something like that. Um, the, the, just the incredible tension in our world, the incredible absence of God shalom all around us. It's, uh, I think, you know, questions of heaven, of, of genuine peace and goodness and wellness uh, intrude, at least in my heart, 
out of the out of the excesses, out of the, the strife, out of the division, out of the hate, anger, fears of the world around us. So um, in my case, um, the, the person who led me to faith as a young adult, as, as I said earlier, um, died by suicide. And so mm. questions of heaven yeah. and hell um, intruded, uh, you know, this person who had who had brought this life to me and then this, this, uh, this death uh, in that yeah. way, it just kind of threw me yeah. uh, for a period of time and so intruded. But, so I wanted to grapple with what do I, what do I believe about heaven? Um, scripture doesn't say a great deal when it does talk about it. It's kind of vague. It's yeah. it, as often as not talking about the cosmos. Mm-hmm. Um, right kind of ideas. So it was really a, a desire to grap, uh, grapple with um, what do I believe? What do I hope for? Um, mm. And ultimately, uh, it's a mystery, and yet I believe. And, yes. Um, yes. And so the, the, the restlessness, the homesickness yeah. that I and so many of us feel yeah. will ultimately, I hope and I believe, yeah. uh, be healed. Yeah. Well, that's beautifully said, Jeff. I um, resonate with what you said about sort of my, my dad died when I was 25. And I remember one of the things about that for me was I felt suddenly this, uh, like heaven was, you know, I always sort of believed in heaven. You know what I mean? I'm putting that in air quotes uh, for right. our listeners. Um, you know, theologically and whatever, you know, I didn't have any doubts, but suddenly I felt connected to someone that I felt like, oh, I, I feel like somebody has, like, whatever that is, right? You're, you're right, it's a mystery, especially, like, what happens before the resurrection, you know, of all of us. It's, like, a deep mystery of, like, yeah. what, are, what, are, <laughs> what are people doing who have died in Christ? Um, but I just remember f- having that sense of my heart being drawn um, toward eternity, toward heaven, um, because this person that I had known my whole life was suddenly not here, but was yeah. there and it was like, Oh, now I have this like embodied connection mm. with, with someone there. And it's, I don't know, it just, it's hard to describe even as, <laughs> even as I'm trying to now. Um, but I, I think it, it, it made me realize that there was a deep longing in me for, for eternity. And I have this yeah. suddenly have this personal connection now that yeah. keeps my mind on it maybe more than it yeah. was before. And I think that's what happened that day when I was in college, when that friend, uh, when I got the call that he um, had died. And then again, much more recently, just a few years ago with my dad, I remember being at his bedside with my younger brother in, in Indianapolis, actually, in uh, uh, Greenwood, Indiana. And um, uh, the, the moment that he died and all of the electronics were unplugged, uh, a Brahms lullaby played from the maternity ward that was adjacent to the heart center. Oh, wow. I mean, literally in the very moment that all the wires were unplugged, uh, the Brahms lullaby signifying the birth of a new child. Mm-hmm. And um, that, that image and that, that experience of being in the room when that happened is, oh. I immediately, you know, as, early, as soon as I could, sat down with the journal and began to, to write what became the end of the, the chapter, Longing for Home. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like you said, Ben, uh, 
I think the the death made these quest, the, these questions and these hopes and the connectivity, the kind of the reality of what we say we believe, mm-hmm. uh, much more present in, yes. in my heart and mind that day. Well, I don't know how to end our conversation on a more profound note than that. Um, I think one of the things, Jeff, that comes to light in your book is uh, basically how to be present and aware to the depth and complexities that this life has to offer. And what's striking to me um, is that in your book, it's clear that we could name this saudaji, this longing, this desire as sort of the the portal into reality. It is it is the one of the truest access points we have to this deep, rich, mysterious complexity that um, you know you name in terms of you know, that moment when your dad passed away. Mm-hmm. Um, so thank you for this book. Thank you for uh, being our guide into the wild jungle of uh, <laughs> desire. Um, yeah. m- uh, maybe by way of closure, something we didn't talk about, but each chapter you have a playlist that you mm. name. Would, would you just, as we, as we exit here, what, what led you to have a playlist for each chapter and how did those songs function in the conceptualization or writing of that chapter? Yeah. Well, I, I have worked with writers, you know, as a publisher for more than 24 years and, and even as a bookseller in Bloomington, Indiana before that, knew a lot of writers and um, you two are writers yourself. I don't know what your kind of uh, mode of writing is, but for me, it is always having music in the background. Mm-hmm. Like I, 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 whether I'm in a coffee shop, you know, <laughs> with my laptop, I've got a headset in mm-hmm. and I have music. It's, it's just a constant, um, it's a constant presence in my life, whether here in the office or or on the road. And um, as I turned in the manuscript and the editor uh, read it, she, her very first, uh, before she told me everything I needed to change, she said, (laughs) this manuscript begs for playlists. (laughs) And it had been on my mind. I like, I wanted to do it, but I thought a publisher would never accept that. Like what? No, these are books. You're going to send people off into into music. <laughs> the minute my editor said that, I said, "How quickly do you want it?" <laughs> and um, and she said, "Oh, just you know, with the next set of revisions." But within about two hours, <laughs> I had I had chosen uh, six songs for every chapter, almost all of which are on uh, Spotify or Pandora. There are just a few that aren't that I couldn't not include. Um, so they came about because the editor uh, said the manuscript begs for it. it mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, music enters in a number of places uh, um, through artists that I know who allowed me to quote their lyrics. Um, and I just sat down and out of memory, I said, what are my six favorite songs on home? Typed them up, then checked to make sure that uh, that they were on uh, the streaming services and then moved to chapter two and, and onward. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were a, a few cases where um, I thought, you know, peace. I, 
I don't want to just talk about you know ending the Vietnam War kind of peace songs. Um, so I had to I had to dig a little deeper for the Tizé community uh, for a song about peace out of that community in France. Yeah. But I mean, literally within about two hours, my editor had the playlist. And I said, if you want more than six per chapter, I can easily give you more. But we, we settled there. So it was a lovely exercise. And there is a Spotify playlist that is named The Language of the Soul, a musical mix. So your listeners could go to that and great. add it to their library. And it's, it's in the order uh, as they appear in the book. Yeah. With the introduction, the first six songs in the introduction all have the word saudaji in Oh, in nice. the song, so in you song. will encounter, <laughs> nice. you will encounter uh, some of the songs that 15, 20 years ago on vinyl records, I was uh, <laughs> playing you Stan Getz and oh, yeah. uh, you know others and encountered the words. So yeah, the the first six songs all have Saudade in the title. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> great. Well, the book again is called The Language of the Soul, Meeting God and the Longings of Our Hearts. Jeff, appreciate you being with us today. Thank you for having me. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Gravity Leadership Podcast. If you're finding it helpful, we'd love it if you tell your friends about it. Ratings and reviews online also help others find the podcast. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Joining our Gravity community is free. You'll get our latest content delivered straight to your inbox, as well as an email most Fridays with curated links to articles we found interesting or helpful. To join us, go to gravityleadership.com slash join. Our show is produced by Ben Sternke and Matt Tebby. Aaron Sternke edits and mixes the podcast, and you can check out his work at aaronsternke.com. We'd love to hear from you. To record a question or comment for us, go to gravityleadership.com slash message and click the start record button. You can also email us at podcast at gravityleadership.com. Catch you next time. know how to book flights and hotels all you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive that's why you need viator book guided tours excursions and more in one place there are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from so you can find something for everyone and viator offers free cancellation and 24 7 customer support for worry free travel download the viator app now and use code viator 10 for 10 percent off your first booking in the app find travel experiences for you do more with viator when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.